This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here, welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as we navigate you through uh, life without sports, but Still plenty of things to talk about here as uh, we'll get into that here in, in this week's show. And uh, starting out first, guys, we learned on Monday morning, first thing, uh, the Big Ten has um, lifted and moved um, you know, that, that ban on organized activities that was set for May 4th to now June 1st. So w- what does that mean necessarily going forward? Um, I, you know, a few things. Number one, um, the earliest that Nebraska could actually or any team in the Big Ten could start an organized workout program would be June 1st. Um, And and that's about normal if it were to stay on that path. Uh, Normally, under Scott Frost, Nebraska starts in about mid-May. They do about three weeks um, of additional workouts that maybe Mike Riley's staff didn't do before. Um, But the key, the other thing is your newcomers. That June 1st now is kind of what Nebraska can target as all right, June 8th is the first day of the second five-week session. Granted, that's online, uh, but maybe they can get these guys now on campus, the newcomers, in June. Um, but as we know, that could all change um, again as it changed before. Um, but you just keep your fingers crossed, I think, that this country will be in a much better place starting on June 1st. Yeah, I think as it stands right now, assuming that June 1st um, deadline holds, uh, it won't disrupt all all that much. I mean, obviously, to, not counting the, the the loss of spring ball and whatnot. But um, looking ahead to uh, the the off season, uh, you know, I know with basketball, even before that deadline was pushed back, they were already planning on starting on June sixth with their summer workouts and getting everybody to get back to Lincoln, um, basically to line up with the start of the first five week summer session. So really, in that regard, things won't be altered all that much. I mean, all things considered. So uh, fingers crossed that that holds true because you know, long term, I don't know if it would be as major of a disruption as maybe we once thought. Well, and the interesting thing about it is that it, it lines up with the current recruiting dead period, too, that the NCAA extended back, um, you know, before the, you know before mid-April or whenever they had originally set it, and then they extended it to uh, June or May 31st. So June 1st is when technically when recruiting could could possibly start back up and and then all of a sudden now uh, you know football related activities and whatnot could possibly start up so um, you know I, I think I'm hopeful that it can happen um, you know I feel like it probably will when you're looking at some of these other sports that are starting to get going um, you know I, I think PGA they're having an event in mid-May here in a couple of weeks, uh, kind of a small deal, but they're they're going to be opening back up uh, full-time here in, in mid-June. And I think a lot of other places or a lot of other sporting leagues are, are kind of gearing towards that as well. You get the sense nobody wants to make the first move. Yeah. They, they all want to kind of let somebody make the first move. And if it goes good, we'll follow what they're doing. If it goes bad, well, that's why we didn't do it, you know. So I, I think everybody's kind of got a cautious approach, which I get it. That's that's the approach, um, you know. You you want to take right now. You don't want to be someone that causes this to get worse, or somebody gets sick, or even worse than that. So um, it, it will be interesting just how the conference moves forward with this over this next month. Uh, Nate, the other big thing would be the recruiting visitors. 
Um, there's three weekends in June um, that you can have recruits in. The camp window is 21 days there in June as well. So if they were to return June 1st and that rec- recruiting activities could continue, you, you might be able to have some sort of camps and have official visitors. I'm not as optimistic about camps happening, but um, you know, best case scenario, maybe you could actually have some visitors come to your campus. Yeah, I'm I'm fully expecting June to be absolutely crazy uh, as as far as recruiting goes, as long as everything opens back up. I mean, you're talking about you might see midweek visits. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see uh, visits happening every single day. It's going to be crazy because. There's so many players that haven't been able to take official visits, which uh, technically started on uh, or would have started on on April 1st, and all these unofficial visit visits uh, have not been able to happen either. And so, I mean, literally every single recruit that I've talked with since all this started has had to cancel at least a handful of visits that that they were planning to take. And and so, um, you know, I think that as long as the dead period is lifted at that point in time, you're going to see a lot of players trying to make as many visits as possible. Yeah, it's going to be the same way for basketball, too. Uh, Going back to April, uh, that weekend before the spring game and the weekend of the spring game were supposed to be two massive visit weekends for Fred Hoybrick and his staff. And obviously with that out the window, uh, they've been, you know, kind of had their hands tied to trying to utilize their best recruiting tools. So I would imagine as soon as that opens up, um, they're going to start bringing in some unofficial and official visitors, particularly with the 2021 and 22 classes uh, to really get the, the their foot in the door on some of those guys. So it works uh, for other sports as well. And then uh, in other news guys this week, Nebraska football added a pretty high profile walk on John Bivens. Um, this is a guy that took an official visit to Nebraska um, back in January of 2019. He visited the spring game of April of 2018. That would have been Scott Frost's first spring game. So they had been recruiting this guy for a long time. Um, Nate, he he was not an academic qualifier. And then was it kind of a Braylon Hurd, Charles Jackson type deal where he had to ex- go an extra year to kind of meet the requirements? Is that the deal? Yeah. So, yeah, not only was he not an academic qualifier, but was, was close. Um, he also suffered a severe knee injury his senior year. Multiple ligaments. Yeah, multiple ligaments, like ACL, MCL, um, and, and another. I mean, basically, he shredded his knee. And so, um, you know, after that happened, he had – a lot of basically everybody except for Toledo dropped off of him uh, and Nebraska still recruited him um, and, and they brought him in for an official visit and I think they were just kind of keeping tabs on his on his academic progress and of course his health and um, you know and he he opted to continue to work on his academics instead of going the Juco route or, or going to a lower lower level um, you know football and, and so um, you know, it, it worked out for him and it's, it's, I mean, it's a great pickup. It, it's a, it's a low risk, high reward type of scenario when you can get a guy that had offers from USC, you know, USC was one of his finalists, um, you know, before the injury happened and, and now you're getting this guy as a walk on. So, um, and he's a power back. Yeah, I mean he he does he's a big back. He's 6'2", 205, 210. Um he he's power back, can run between the tackles, but he's also, you know, pretty skilled. Uh I mean he could play wide receiver if they really wanted him to. He's got great hands. Uh he's a receiving threat out of the backfield. I know Ryan Held really before the injury happened, he he was one of Nebraska's top running back targets in that class. 
uh, because he can do everything. He can catch out of the backfield. He can line up as a as a wide receiver. Um, you know, he's got a power element to his run game. He's I mean, he's a pretty dynamic player, assuming that he's back to his pre-injury self. And and I think that's the big question right now is that that knee injury was so severe that you, you don't know exactly where he's at. And we've seen this kind of play out before with you know like a Ronald Tompkins type of deal. So, uh, but again, you're getting him as a walk-on. So why not? Yeah, and he hasn't played a game since his junior year of high school. Well, so he played a couple couple games his senior. year. Oh, he before, did. I didn't yeah, realize that before Late. the before the knee injury uh, happened. So oh, okay, so the knee injury happened his senior season, not his junior season. Well, it happened his junior year. He tried coming back, and then they basically shut him down. So yeah, it's it's been a you just wonder what that's going to look like, um, and he'll be a walk on as as we mentioned. Um, so really, no risk for Nebraska other than hey, if he's good, um, it will work out. If not, you know he, he'll he'll walk away probably from the game. But uh, much more to come here on the show. We're going to talk about what could Memorial Stadium look like this year um, for home games. I mean, we're, we're a lot of ideas, a lot of discussions. What are your suggestions? What are your thoughts? We're going to get Nate and Robin's thoughts on that and more here next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as we're talking 2020 football season and what that's going to look like. Nobody really knows. Everyone's got an idea. Everyone wants to kind of throw in their two cents. Um, and, you know, everything's been thrown out there about Memorial Stadium. And, um, you know, I think today in, in what we know now, it doesn't seem likely that we could just sit in there butt to butt 90,000 strong um, where people are going to be that close in that proximity. So it comes down to this. I mean, no fans. Can you play? Can you play college football with no fans? Um, can you reduce capacity? Um, Tom Chattel, I know, wrote something, and we've talked about this as well this week. Could they reduce the capacity overall? Memorial Stadium. I mean, I think everyone's got an idea of what this should look like, um, you know, and, and, and we just don't know uh, what the best road that you could take at this point is going to be. And I don't know if there is a right road. And that, that's, that's kind of the, the scary thing. The, you know, I think everybody wants to know what the right move is will be if we play football to have fans in the stadium, uh, but nobody knows. And, and, and that's going to lead to a lot of debate. Well, right now it seems like uh, the hard enough issue is just figuring out if they're going to play football uh, and how they're going to manage teams and maintain social distancing with 150 guys in a locker room. The next issue that's probably not even uh, you know close to being solved right now is what they're going to do with fans. But I do think that the idea of, packing you know 90,000 people into little benches you know where they're literally pressed against each other I think those days might be over and I don't know if that honestly is necessarily a bad thing I think Memorial Stadium is probably due for a scale back in terms of capacity just because of the way things are right now fan amenities yeah I mean it's it's not a uh easily accessible stadium uh, I mean the bathroom situation is a disaster uh, the concession stands are a disaster and you know really I think that for the fan experience there needs to be changes to make it a more appealing situation where um, you know fans are going to be more inclined to get up out of their comfy couch and their 60 inch uh, flat screen and you know all that stuff to make the way to a game and have a more enjoyable experience so maybe this is going to be kind of the kickstart where uh, it forces Nebraska's hands a little bit to 
adapt to make it a not only a safer environment for fans, you know, given the situation, but also a more enjoyable and comfortable situation. What's wrong with horse trough toilets in the ma- in, <laughs> in, in bathroom stalls yeah, full of people uh, are air, soft these days? Airplane bottles. Bo- the funny when you go in those like bathroom stalls during a game day, they're just full of like airplane bottles of liquor on the ground. <laughs> when you walk in there, it's like, Dad, what's that? <laughs> what do you think, Nate? Well, yeah, I mean, even if you required everyone to wear a mask, I just don't see there if there's any way that. You you're going to pack 90,000 people into the the stadium. And I don't know how many people would be willing to do that. I mean, we, we all know Nebraska fans are, are diehards, but I mean, if you, if you said that there's no restrictions or everybody, you know, I, I mean, how many people, I, I guarantee you there's going to be at least a, uh, you know, a certain faction of, of the fan base that said, eh, I'm good. I'm just going to stay home and watch it. And so, uh, you know, I, I do think that this may be, there may be no better time than now to reduce the size, you know, put in actual seats maybe instead of just the, the bleachers. Um, or, you know, if they if they go no fans, maybe there's no better time than now to start, start the renovation on the South end zone or, or whatever, you know, the certain things that we've talked about a lot and that, that, uh, uh, you know, Nebraska has, has talked about or kicked around certain ideas too. So, um, I mean, I, I think this this could present an opportunity uh, to, to do some certain things and, and get some things done in the stadium uh, if there are no fans that are going to be in the stands this fall. Yeah, and it's such a big project. That's the thing. You can't just say, all right, we're going to add seats and be done with the project yeah. in a week. I mean, it's it's a months-on-months project, and um, what is the right number how many fans would you upset by taking away their season yeah. tickets? Um, you know, the people that maybe don't give a donation but have had those tickets for 20 years, you know, what happens to those people? I mean, I think politically it is, but maybe Corona or COVID-19 scares away enough of those people that your list shrinks that, that you can make this more manageable to, to, to happen. So I, nobody really knows – um, what the the right way to do it? I, I think we all agree, though. Long term, the current state of Memorial Stadium, um, even just for before coronavirus, I don't think it was sustainable to maintain the sellout streak. I don't know how many twenty five year olds or thirty year olds in Omaha or around the state want to drive down seven times a year and tailgate and park and and, and go through all that to sit in a little sixteen inch seat. I think they've got to figure out a way to probably make it more like the NFL, the amenities that you see in some of these newer sure. NFL places. Yeah, I mean, uh, revamp the concourses to make bathrooms more accessible, concession stands more accessible, and the seats, obviously, uh, putting seat backs to where you, you're not pressed against uh, some guy you don't even know for four hours. Like, you know, I think there are things like that that they uh, might have a legitimate excuse to do now. Uh, like you said, if there's not going to be fans in the stands anyway, now you have uh, over a full calendar year to – do those improvements and make Memorial Stadium a more appealing place for fans and um, you know the diehards are going to come no matter what but I think what you're worried about is you know the younger generation of fans and um, you know maybe people the that just kind of go for the event of Nebraska football that you the know, one you, game a year that guy. you might lose not only because the stadium is uncomfortable but you know the the post COVID-19 era people are going to be leery and if there's um, not extra incentive to come out to a game um, when you're already dealing with a bunch of inconveniences you know you might be costing yourself some attendance figures uh, what was interesting is earlier this week I saw uh, the Miami Dolphins said something about they're planning to have at least 15,000 people um, come to the their stadium in the in the fall um, and I, I think 
Uh, I think their stadium holds like 60,000. So they're, they're planning to kind of spread people around and um, kind of abide by some, some sort of social distancing. So, I mean, I don't know if that, that would ever be an option for Nebraska, uh, but there are, I mean, there are NFL teams that are, that are planning to have at least, you know, 15,000 people in the stand, in the stands this fall too. So. Yeah, that that will be if if it got to that in college. I mean, how do you decide? Yeah. You know, who, if, yeah, who gets because if you're giving a lot of money, do you shun those people? Probably not. No. So then you have to have a lottery of people that don't give as much money, and then those people get offended um, that they're not picked for game. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a tough road. I had always heard though, Robin made a great point about South Stadium that if they were ever to actually do it right, they would have to have that section be unavailable for games. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right on that. I mean, maybe that is the time to say, all right, we better attack this now because we got a window where we thought like we want to do this, but we, we don't want to like not have the section open for a season. Well, this is the year to do yeah, it. There's yeah, no better about. time than now to, to do those types of things. Because that building that sits underneath there um, and the pillars, I mean, there's a lot there. Um, and I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I know I've talked to people that, about that, that, it's not just like, oh yeah, we'll we'll reduce out. I mean, there's a lot of redoing of the whole structure that mm-hmm. would that would take more than a football season that would you know an off season to get done. Yeah, it's a major overhaul, and so like I said, maybe that can be uh, Nebraska's excuse to finally take this stuff on because you can use the excuse of not having fans in the stands or limited fans in the stands or whatever it may be, uh, and it won't just have it might not not be as costly if you were to do it during a normal season. Yeah, I think that I mean that makes a lot of sense uh, to do. I don't know, you know how how far they are with some of those plans. If it's just a deal where you can say, okay, well, <laughs> we're we hear the plans, we're doing it, uh, or if they you know got to start from scratch or what. But um, you know, it does make a lot of sense to if, if you're well, nobody's spending money right now. Yeah, right. if you're if you're gonna do if you've been talking about some modifications, uh, I think right now is the time to do it. I think that would be maybe a fall rollout if he did it, like announce it. Yeah. when we're but I mean, it's not something I don't think you can announce like in June or July that right. we're doing this. I mean, yeah, I think I think things need to get back to normal a little bit. And, and I would assume that they have at least some like bare bones idea of like oh, what yeah, they would sure. do. So it's not like they would just be starting from scratch with uh, whatever remodel projects they would be, have. It would just be a matter of just really locking in on the logistics to make sure they could get it done in the right amount of time. And whose call is it? I mean, is it Moose's call on his team? I mean, are the regents, how involved are they? Um, obviously, President Carter and, and Chancellor uh, Green. I mean, there's a lot of people that would have to weigh in on something of this magnitude um, because we think the facility is expensive. This would be just as much or more mm-hmm. to do, to do a South project as well uh, when you're talking about that much construction. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk basketball recruiting. Uh, Fred Hoiberg squad took a big hit this week. Uh, where do they go next? They have one more spot for a big man. They want to fill for 2020. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on that. You're listening here to the Husker online show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, talking Nebraska basketball as uh, Fred Hoiberg's team uh, took a hit this week. Um, you know, Robin's been talking about uh, Adama Sinogu uh, for a number of weeks. Um, you know, it felt like he was a lock. And I know I butchered his name based on Rob, Robin's <laughs> chuckle there, um, but he's a no-go. Yeah, yeah, you could pronounce it Adama Sanagana happen. Uh, because, uh, yeah, things took a uh, pretty drastic turn over the weekend. Obviously, Adama Sanogo, four star, 
top 50 uh, center out of um, the Patrick School out in New Jersey. 2021 recruit was gonna is going to reclassify to 2020, uh, and he was the number one target on Nebraska's board for a long time, for months. And up until probably Thursday, uh, I would say that Nebraska thought that thing was in the bag. Uh, then they were actually kind of planning on the next steps of uh, you know where they would uh, go with with him on the roster. Well, you know the weekend happens, and suddenly things kind of fell apart a little bit. And I think it was a combination of reasons that that went down to that. For one, uh, keep in mind, he was never able to visit Lincoln. Um, He was supposed to take an official visit for the spring game uh, back in April, and obviously that uh, was canceled. And so I think not seeing Lincoln and kind of getting the firsthand experience, that's always hard to, to overcome. Um, especially with high school players. And then, you know, the the real push late with schools that were closer to home, um, you know, obviously UConn got him, but Seton Hall was right there in the mix. Maryland was right there in the mix uh, that, you know, really uh, pushing him to stay home. But uh, there was also a narrative that got pushed of uh, Nebraska not necessarily needing uh, a traditional big man to be successful in Fred Hoiberg's offense. And um, I guess there's some history to support that, but um, Nebraska wouldn't have made him such a priority if that were the case. But, you know, that idea, I think, got pushed in his head. And when you pair that with, you know, oftentimes kids like that, especially, um, you know, international players that come to the United States that are kind of here on their own and they're being taken care of by, um, you know, guardians and handlers and uh, coaches and all that stuff, a lot of times people get in their ear and push them to make decisions that the, the those you know, outside forces uh, want to happen. And I think maybe that the the big man narrative in Nebraska kind of helped convince Adama to see um, what some other people were trying to tell him. And in the end, UConn was able to make a, like I said, a pretty drastic push over the last few days of this weekend and stole him from right under Nebraska's feet. And that big man narrative, Robin, it's, it's not accurate. I mean, in a lot of ways, they've had to play that way because of the hand they were dealt. It's right. not, it, I mean, what basketball coach of any kind would say, I don't want a good big man. Every coach wants a, big, a good big man. But Nebraska obviously has not had very many, and that was the roster they were dealt with. Um, you know, and, and they, they were recruiting a specific guy here that fit what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to be successful in spite of not having that type of player. But, you know, Nebraska's been trying to recruit one of those for a long, long time. And I'm telling you, they were very, very, very close to finally getting that guy and you know the curse of Nebraska continues. So now, as far as what they do to fill that spot, um, I don't know because they still have some options as far as potential 2020 bigs. One of which being uh, Gabe Wisnitzer uh, from the Hargrave Military Academy out in Virginia. Uh, he and he did a virtual visit with Fred Hoiberg and Matt Abdelmasi on Tuesday night, and I talked to him Tuesday night after that visit, and uh, he really loved everything they had to say. But, you know, he and a lot of other players uh, are reluctant, especially high school kids, are reluctant to make decisions on a school without visiting a campus first. And I don't blame them for that. I mean, how do you understand what you're getting yourself into in one of the biggest decisions of your basketball career without actually seeing and meeting people? Uh, I mean, that, I think, is going to hurt Nebraska, especially as we talked about with the recruiting uh, restrictions on right now till June 1st, um, you know, that really leaves a small window for them to get a guy on campus and make the decision and all that stuff uh, before the start of the season. So 
if they can't find a guy, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if they just held on to that spot and kept it in their back pocket going into the season to potentially have available for a mid-year transfer or just save it for the 2021 class in which they're in on a lot of high school or top level high school players and obviously transfers. So it's not the end of the world. It's a blow, a big blow, no matter how you want to spin it. I mean, this was a guy that Nebraska really wanted and they thought they were going to get him and they didn't. But I don't think it's a crippling, uh, devastating blow in the sense that they already have far more front court depth and talent than they did a year ago. And you look ahead to 2021, I think they're in very good spots with some top-level players there in the front court. Well, and in 2021, Robin, we might see the one-time transfer rule actually go into effect yeah. too. So there could be more value in 21 to have that available. Sure. Um, the way the staff recruits transfers, that you could get a guy immediately eligible versus a sit-out guy or a high school player right now that probably is not Big Ten ready. Yeah, and so they're not going to take a guy just to take a guy. It has to be the right fit. And, you know, right now they're at, what, 12 scholarship players, and the idea of keeping a full 13 uh, happy is uh, unrealistic. So uh, they're not going to force the issue, and it has to be the right player with the right fit uh, for what they want to do. So if that player comes up, yes, they're, they're going to do all they can to get him. But – Worst case scenario, they just hold that thing. And like you said, with the transfer market taking a massive change with that rule, uh, and then obviously with the, the high school players that they're in on and have been on for the past couple of years, uh, I think that that would almost serve more valuable to wait and hold on to that spot as opposed to just you know taking a guy just to fill a spot. And Robin, we talked earlier in the show about the June 1st day for the Big Ten and, and kind of what that means. Um, is Nebraska basketball going to be kind of on, under that same um, umbrella where – you know, maybe they're going to try to get their guys on campus um, by early June as well. Yeah, June 6th is the day that Fred Hoiberg has said publicly they're still shooting for. Um, Which is right before the five-week right, number one session. Right, so, I mean, until that changes, that's that's the plan uh, of operation here. But here's a, an interesting element to that. Right now, Nebraska has four international players that are outside of the country, and they can't get back into the country right now because of the uh, travel restrictions that are put on there. And so you have two in Canada, Shamil Stevenson, Delano Banton. You have Thor, Thorbjörn Arson in Iceland. And then you have Ivan Wajerogo, who's out in France. And, you know, that right now... Uh, they expect those bands to really be loosened uh, by the end of this month. So hopefully, you know, right around that May 31st, June 1st deadline, that should be cleared. And, you know, the university is allowed to pay for their travel back. So it can be a deal where as soon as whatever restriction may be in place are lifted, they can buy a ticket and get those guys on campus. So even if it pushes their arrival back, you know, a, a few days or even a week, it's not the end of the world. But that's another element to this whole thing that doesn't really get talked about that, because of the international flavor on Nebraska's roster right now, they're dealing with um, some unusual things and just getting their guys back on campus uh, by the time uh, they're finally allowed to. All right, when we come back, we're going to bring in Grace Harmon. We'll take some questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, and pleased to bring in Husker Online's Grace Harmon. Um, Grace, we've got a mailbag here. Um, what, do, what do you got to lead us off with? All right. What non-conference team would get you most excited as a future opponent? Uh, that, that's a great question. I know we've had it, some discussion about that. Uh, Oklahoma down the road is going to be really cool. Fifth, um, I believe it's the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. 
So that one's right up there. Um, Notre Dame, no brainer. Um, but it's kind of one of those deals where you're only going to get Notre Dame like once every 50 years. Nebraska got that game back in um, 2000 and 2001. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be lucky to see Notre Dame on the schedule by 2050, in my opinion, um, especially with their new scheduling agreement with the ACC. Um, you know, they play six ACC games, I believe, or five or six a year on top of their other built-in games with Stanford and USC. I like West Coast games, though, guys. I really, really enjoy um, I'd love to see Arizona State on there because I know how many Nebraska fans are in that Phoenix area. And I think if Nebraska could play a game at Arizona State, that would be awesome. Arizona Is Arizona on the schedule? Am I wrong by that or not? I don't not that think I, so. For some reason, I'm, I'm not thinking. 100% on that. Yeah, so the thing with the West Coast games is Nebraska's already played so many of those teams in the last 15 years that – um, you know, there wouldn't be I mean, outside of maybe Arizona state and a couple like lower Stanford. Tier. Yeah. Cal yeah, Stanford would be cool, but like, you know, the, the, the big names on the West coast and you know, the cool destinations, Nebraska's kind of already checked all those off the list. So Notre Dame for me obviously is up there because especially because that was, they played that game right before I started covering the team. So I didn't get to go to that one. So just seeing uh, that stadium would certainly be on the list. But if I had to pick another one, I'd say like Florida, or something, you know, going down to the swamp or maybe, uh, you know, playing one of those SEC teams just for one, because it's fun to play SEC teams, but two, uh, you know, a lot of those, you know, you could play in some cool college campuses and atmospheres. So that would probably be my next right after Notre Dame. Hook'em. Texas. Good call. That would get, I mean, a non-conference game with Texas would be, I think would be, would be great. Because um, I don't know a Nebraska fan that does not just hate Texas. I mean, it's kind of like the Colorado deal, you know, and that and that's been a good one. Um, and and I, just like Oklahoma is going to be, I, I think Texas would be a good one. Um, you know, a, a Missouri is is another one that that I think would move the needle a little bit. But yeah, I, I agree with the the SEC schools. I mean, if you could get. Uh, in LSU or uh, I mean even uh, even like an Ole Miss now or you know with Lane Kiffin there I, I think that would be kind of cool but or any of those Florida schools yeah, really Florida State would be cool too. yeah Florida State would be would be great uh, but uh, yeah I think those are the ones for me aside from you know the the natural Notre Dame um, you know or even USC I think that those are the ones that that I would kind of look forward it just to. seems so strange to ever think an SEC team would come up here and play though they yeah. just they just don't do it uh, by the way Robin Arizona on the schedule in 28, 2028. They come to Lincoln, and then in 2031, baby, we're going to Tucson. Wow. Let's go. Let's go. Back up the wheelchair. I'll be uh, 51 years old and looking at retirement properties in Tucson when we make that trip. But uh, what do you got next, Grace? All right. Any idea what um, plans of some of the seniors that didn't make it to the NFL are? I mean, I know some of those guys are still holding out hope to get tryouts. So a lot of those guys, like uh, Muhammad Barry, Alex Davis, Mike Williams, um, I'm guessing that they're trying to stay sharp for that. But you know, realistically, it's going to be tough. I, I just don't know what's next if they just have, if they're going to move full into the career world, try indoor football, look at Canada. Um, I mean, your options now without the XFL um, and these things out there are pretty limited. Yeah, and you know, with the whole offseason schedule being thrown off right now, those opportunities are going to be even less. So an uphill uh, climb got even steeper. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're just probably going to try and figure out whatever they can do to, to keep themselves in shape. So if it doesn't happen this year, you know, maybe when there's more opportunities, when things hopefully get back to normal, they'll, they'll have a better shot. Yeah, I would think the mini camp invite 
you know, opportunities would be maybe a little bit more limited this year compared to years past. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those guys obviously going to hold out hope for that. But if they give it a go in, you know, for the CFL or or even uh, indoor football. Do you have any feel which running back will be featured with Mills this year? Yeah, that was a good question that we were asked this week um, in the chat. And um, until we see practice, it's so hard um, to, to, to know who that number two guy is going to be. Um, obviously, Sevian Morrison, uh, Marvin Scott are, are both going to get great looks. They're just not in Lincoln yet. So that, that's what makes um, that very, very difficult. Ronald Tompkins, as we know, is kind of overcoming an injury still. Um, so there, there's a lot of potential there um, with those two freshmen coming in. But until we see him on campus, it's hard to really know. Well, and so that being said, I mean, a guy like Ramir Johnson, I think, is the natural number two right now just because he's the one known entity behind Diedrich. So, uh, I mean, as things stand right now, I'd probably say Ramir. Yeah, Ramir Johnson. And, and I think that we're going to see the the two incoming freshmen, Marvin Scott and Savion Morrison, get every opportunity to, to make an impact there in, in the backfield. So, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a toss-up between Ramir Johnson and, and uh, Morrison and Scott. All right, kind of a hypothetical for you. What would the reaction be from Husker coaches and fans if Noah Vedral somehow ended up at Iowa? <laughs> um, obviously, it would sting um, because if he's going to Iowa, that would almost mean he'd be in line to start there because I don't think Noah Vedral is going to go anywhere that he doesn't think he's going to get a fair shake to start. Um, with that said, I don't think that's going to happen. I know Iowa had been talked about as a team that expressed interest because they don't have a lot of quarterbacks on the roster, but they have a returnee um, on their roster right now that that's more or less in line to be the starter and Ferentz has come out and said that in so many ways and they signed a really 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 high profile freshman that's you know people say he's like the savior he's going to be their next great quarterback so um, he's kind of the next guy after that so I don't know I mean it, it would really sting though there's no doubt if, if he went to Iowa did well especially yeah that would not be a scenario you'd want um, if you're Scott Frost well you can imagine just Iowa's glee of being able to take a Nebraska legacy former starter quarterback and you know have him you know playing on the other side I mean that but I'm sure if nothing else the jab to nebraska's coaching staff and their fan base would be worth it for iowa yeah that uh it would not go over well i mean i don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it and say well yeah be, the state of nebraska would be proud of Noah Vedral and and uh I mean, they'd be happy to see him starting um you know at iowa <laughs> i don't i don't see that happening uh obviously i mean Noah's a great kid and everything but um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it would uh, go over well in I, the state of Nebraska. I imagine just some over dramatized headlines in Iowa. One man's trash is another man's <laughs> treasure. You know, just, just. Yeah. Well, it'd be, is he better than what we got? Type of, I mean, it oh, would. Yeah. I mean, there would be all sorts of. Yeah, the, the Joe Burrow comparison. Yeah, the Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I just. Yeah, it would. It would be that would be a nightmare scenario. <laughs> For our sakes, let's just hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> For the record, Northern Illinois to me still would probably be the most likely, unless you know Rutgers, Maryland, Boise, some other teams have shown some interest. I know he's talking to a lot of teams. I mean, they're keeping it very quiet, obviously, but a lot of teams have expressed interest. So we'll we'll see where that goes with Noah Bedrill. All right. What are kind of expectations and projections for guys like Damian Daniels and Keem Green this year? 
Um, Damian Daniels, for me, it's getting his snap count up. Um, you know, he has really only been able to give Nebraska 15 snaps a game, 18 snaps a game because it's conditioning level. He can't really play um, against, you know, no huddle spread teams and stay on the field very long because it's really, really hard for him to get on and off the field. He looked great against Wisconsin when it was a slow it down game. Um, Jakeem Green, same thing. I think the year of maturing, redshirting, can you get 25 snaps a game? I, I think both those guys, if you can get 25 a game out of both of them, maybe 30 at the most, that's probably a realistic goal. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It's just a matter of those guys being able to stay on the field. And right now, I just don't know if their conditioning is the point where they can be every down players. But the good news is when you have multiple guys like that, you can rotate, keep those guys fresh. And so I would imagine both will be um, big factors in that rotation in some spot. Yeah, and even – to me, the the bigger uh, deal with the, both those guys is not not the total snap count, but how many snaps can they give max effort at once? You know, I, I know Tony Tuioti has talked about how um, you know Daniels for for two or three plays is, is pretty good, but anything after that he would he would really um, go down. And so, I mean, if they could give like six or seven snaps in a row at a very high level, I, I think that would really help the rotation. All right, final question here in the mailbag. All right, Cinco de Mayo. How'd you guys celebrate? <laughs> we um, I'm not a margarita drinker, and I know uh, Nate Nate's a big margarita guy, right? Or is your wife more the margarita person? Well, I mean. I'll, at this point, I'm drinking anything. Anything that, anything that you can. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my wife, my life, bleh, my wife likes margaritas, and uh, and I won't turn one down. I'm not. I don't like tequila like that. Oh. But I had. We had some. We ordered some. We ordered some curbside pickup tacos from um, Hacienda Real. It was busy. I. I mean. I was. I knew it would be busy at these places, but I saw pictures on Cinco de Mayo. How busy like El Petrero was, Las Margaritas, Hacienda Real, some of the great local Mexican restaurants in town, and lines out the door, parking lots full. It was pretty nuts. I mean, I think between the pan- uh, pandemic and um, just being locked up at home, social media pictures of people showing tacos and drinks, everyone's like, let's celebrate and go to Mayo and, <laughs> and, and go all out because what else can we do right now? Exactly. So I uh, did have margaritas. I got the, the lime and the uh, strawberry mixes and uh, did a little dabbling on both and then uh, ordered some uh, takeout from Muchachos food truck got the chicken tacos there it was delicious so yeah it was a good little sink you had to put that order in like a month ago yep Friday they opened <laughs> they opened them up on Friday and like by Saturday they were sold out for Tuesday so yeah uh, it was basically any if you're selling tacos you probably uh, hit the jackpot yesterday yeah i mean yeah, any any mexican restaurant uh hit the jackpot like, there's a line of taco bell probably <laughs> I, I guarantee it taco <laughs> john's taco, taco john's had a, had, a, had a banner day um, well and it was tuesday too <laughs> yeah 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 taco tuesday the, the old meme where you know taco or Cinco de Mayo is on Taco Tuesday, and yet we're in a pandemic named Corona. <laughs> <laughs> How yes. about you, Grace? I got takeout from El Rancho. If you've heard of it, it's oh, on Twenty yeah. Seventh and O. Super good little place, cheap, good food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got some good tequila, the mes- mezcal tequila with okay. like little worm yeah, in sure. it. Oh, yeah, got a little smoky Dang, taste. Big to baller. It. Spinning that. <laughs> Money. <laughs> Spend that hard-earned money. Yeah, and then I made some um, some margaritas too. So you made your own tacos, Nate. I, I cut you off there. What did you did you make your own? Yeah, we we just uh, we cooked or made our own uh, tacos, and and uh, we had some 
st- homemade strawberry margaritas. Mm. But, uh, um, yeah, it was good. All right. Well, guys, uh, that wraps it up here for the mailbag. When we come back, Nate Klaus and I are going to talk some recruiting, including Keegan Johnson. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, talking recruiting here. But before we get to that, the segment of the Husker Online Show, Nate, is brought to you by our friends at Coogler Vision. Yeah, Coogler Vision still abiding by the uh, social distancing um, guidelines, but those uh, should be changing soon. And and I, I can tell you from personal experience, uh, so happy that I got my vision corrected uh, by the by the staff at Coogler Vision. Um, and if you're thinking about doing the same, I encourage you to go to CooglerVision.com, take the the free quiz there to see what type of uh, procedure is best for you, and uh, you can even set up a virtual uh, consultation with the doctors there. Uh, and they will get you set up. So, so as soon as uh, things get back to normal, uh, you can hit the ground running and, and, and improve your vision in 2020. All right, Nate. Well, it's been busy still for recruiting. Um, we're going to get to Patrick Payton's commitment on Friday um, here in a bit, but I want to get right more to the breaking news of the week. Uh, Keegan Johnson, uh, Husker legacy, son of former Husker wide receiver Cluster Johnson, who was one of the top receivers on the 1995 national championship team for quarterback Tommy Frazier. Um, his son commits to Iowa over Nebraska. Both teams offered virtually the same time. Nebraska offered one day before Iowa did. The Hawkeyes followed. Um, but just on the surface, I mean, th- this hurts um, just because of, obviously, we talked about the optics of Noah Vedrill last week leaving the program. Well, here's a legacy guy that you wanted, that you put effort into, and he's going to pick arguably your number one rival in Iowa. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh... – to me, this hurts worse than losing Avante Dickerson to Minnesota. Uh, even though Avante is technically, you know, ranked higher or, or you know, maybe a little bit more highly recruited uh, than Keegan. Uh, first and foremost, I think Keegan is a very good football player, um, but you know, he's he's a legacy, and and he's not only is he a legacy because uh, Nebraska's lost some legacies in the past, but um, but he's a legacy that they recruited hard. Uh, they offered early. Um, you know, they, they continued to recruit him. It wasn't just, uh, you know, and even during the coaching change, you know, when, when it was, it was initially Troy Walters that, that, um, you know, was recruiting him and that he built a relationship with. And then obviously, uh, Lubick uh, replaced Troy Walters and, um, and really the recruitment, if anything was ramped up, uh, after Lubick arrived at, at Nebraska. And, um, so, I mean, it was not a situation where Nebraska, didn't want him or, you know, or, or was kind of offered, but not necessarily invested in the recruit recruitment of him. So, um, you know, it, it hurts. And you're right. The, it's the optics of it all too, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that I think, you know, kind of hurt the most. And, um, you know, it gives Iowa another, another jab at Nebraska saying, Hey, you know, uh, you know, not even one of their legacies didn't even want to go there. You know, why would you go there? Um, you know, when, when they're recruiting a handful of other targets in this class and beyond. So, um, you know, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, but, uh, you know, well, <laughs> I guess you gotta, you gotta do what you, you have to do with recruitment, recruiting and, and move on to the next. Yeah. And, and Nebraska, they, it's not like it was a lack of effort here. This, this wasn't a situation like Harrison Phillips where, 
Nebraska followed up the major offers that came in. They were in at first. When word got out last week on Wednesday that this was happening maybe a week later, which is Wednesday of this week, uh, they they got on the horn and they really tried to attack this and 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 um, you know jump in front of it. But I got the sense, Nate, it didn't matter. I, I, part of me thinks that he knew he was probably going to go to Iowa for quite some time. And I, I had heard that maybe the Hawkeyes were a dream offer for him. Um, you get the sense that this was one of those things, no matter what Nebraska did or said, this was going to be a hard one for them to get. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it probably was. Um, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, regardless of who the coach was, hey, you know, I, I, I get the feeling that um, you know Nebraska was was gonna was facing maybe a little bit of an uphill battle, um, you know, with, with Keegan Johnson from from the get go. Um, there was a stretch there where where I actually was feeling pretty confident about Nebraska's chances, and um, you know, and I don't know if that was me misreading the situation or or if you know Nebraska had closed the gap or or maybe even moved ahead of Iowa at one point, um, and then Iowa came back. I, I don't know, but um, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things in play here. Obviously, uh, Nebraska does not have a good track record with with uh, Keegan's older brothers uh, having not offered either one of them, and I'm not saying they should have or they shouldn't have or whatever. But uh, and those that those offers were not made by previous staff, so I don't know if you can. Uh, you know, hold Frost and this staff accountable for that. And I, I don't think you can. Um, but the other thing here is is uh, the wide receiver position uh, at Nebraska has not been very stable. You've you've seen a lot of wide receivers come into the program and leave the program, uh, you know, over, over the last, what, four or five classes even. So um, it's kind of been a revolving door there. And, and I think that Iowa used that against Nebraska and uh, – um, and, and I know that the Hawkeyes also are, are telling their wide receiver recruits, hey, um, we've got everything in place on our offense except for uh, playmakers at the wide receiver position. And, and they really and that's that where hard. you come in. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. <laughs> we, that's why we need you is, is you're, you're the missing link. And so uh, and I know that they've really sold that hard. And so. Um, you know, because I know a lot of people that I've talked with, they're like, why Iowa? Why would any wide receiver, you know, feel like, it, you know, I, Iowa is a great opportunity there. I mean, have, haven't, uh, you know, haven't they looked at Nebraska's depth chart? They could, they could come in and, and have an opportunity to play early at Nebraska. And, uh, but I, I think Iowa's done a good job of selling that, uh, that they need the playmakers there to, to kind of um, get them over the hump. And in other news, Nate, Nebraska did get a commit this week out of Miami. Patrick Payton, um, a high three-star, 5.7 three-star, so right on the border being a four-star outside linebacker, pass rusher type. Um, he'll play for Miami Northwestern this year. He played at Miami Senior High um, a year ago. I, I, we've, I've learned one thing about Miami high school football. There's a lot of shuffling of schools that goes around down there because uh, Marcus Fleming, I think, went to three schools down yep. there, um, and that's just part of the deal down there. But uh, a big-time pickup here out of the city of Miami it really is a big time pickup and I mean you talk about um, needs that Nebraska's football team uh, has and, and a, getting a, a pass rusher has been a need for a very long time and Patrick Payton certainly helps fill that that void uh, he's 6'5 205 pounds so he's a little light right now but uh, he's got tremendous length and and ex explosive uh, ability off the edge. I mean, he is a natural pass rusher. Uh, but I think what <clears throat> what really sets him apart 
is that he he has the ability to to cover to drop back in coverage. He, he covers like a like a defensive back. Um, you know, I mean, he he's he's got the opportunity to to you know develop into an extremely well rounded uh, outside linebacker, not just a, a pass rush specialist, which I think right now is obviously his forte. So. Um, yeah, he, he is a dynamic player uh, and a, another huge steal uh, out of Miami um, and kind of keeps that Miami Northwestern pipeline going. I mean, Travis Fisher strikes again uh, because you're talking about a, a player who, like you said, is on the cusp of four stars. I think he will eventually become a four star prospect. Um, that had offers from Miami and Florida State and Florida. All the in-state schools wanted this kid. Uh, so it's not like Nebraska was able to, to go into Miami and pick up the, the scraps. I mean, they, they – This is a front-line guy. He's a front-line guy, and, and he is a difference maker. And so, um, you know, at, a, at that position, which Nebraska's defense really needs guys that can get after the quarterback, this is a huge pickup. He's built a little like Randy Gregory when Absolutely. you look at the frame yep. on this kid. Yeah, that's the, one of the first things that, that uh, I thought of when, when I was watching the film is that, uh, you know what, this is exactly what Randy Gregory looked like in high school. Maybe, maybe just not quite as tall as Randy. Um, it's kind of hard to judge off the film, but, I mean, they are very, very similar in the, in the way that they're built in high school. Um, and also in their ability. I'm not saying he's going to be Randy Gregory once he gets uh, to Lincoln, but similar uh, tools, very similar tools. I mean, he's like I said, he's a dynamic playmaker and a guy that that I think has an opportunity to uh, to to really help Nebraska's defense down the road. Well, lots to follow and keep track of here in recruiting. So make sure you stay logged on to HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.